Hello, and welcome to the Sunday Sermon Cast from Bethel Evangelical Free Church on Washington Island, Wisconsin. I'm Rick Smith, and I've been here at Bethel since 2016, enjoying this great church on this spectacular place off the northern tip of Door County, Wisconsin. This message comes from our Sunday morning service here on the island, and it's geared towards discovering what the Bible has to say to us in our everyday lives. So, God's blessing on you, and thanks for joining with us wherever you are today. I faith in Jesus when I was a freshman in high school, way back in 1978. Uh, uh, the ministry there was, was called Sun City, and it was located out of South Park Church in Park Ridge, Illinois, and it was quite a deal. Uh, when I got there, there's this cacophony of noise. There's students everywhere. So at that time, they were running about 800 students and all kinds of different teams they were set up in and leaders. And, and uh, they, had, they had rock music. They had a live band. They did multimedia presentations. It's just wowed. And, and uh, it was a tremendous ministry. Many people came to faith. And, and uh, the model of what they were doing, uh, the the leadership took that and planted a church in the mid-70s. And, and it became a church of, of tremendous notoriety. Their desire was, was to help people who don't know Jesus and help them discover who he is. And so the center of their worship services was to help those who were irreligious to become fully devoted followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, with the, the ministry and the tools that they had learned in that student ministry of Sun City, uh, that church grew and grew and grew and uh, grew into the thousands and became a model for others. Uh, at this point, there's about 13,000 other churches that have joined their association. And uh, just inspiring. And as I, as I look at that church over the years, I've just uh, been amazed to see what God has done in that. And, and yet... That church has been in the news over the last year and a half or so because of, well, of not good things. Uh, the, the senior pastor who uh, began the student ministry with another fellow named Dave Humble, uh, he was discovered has been abusing his authority in, in relationship with uh, some women. And uh, uh, as he was about to retire, was, was needing to resign and and in watching the, the events that happened at Willow Creek Church, just this, this great sadness of, of what happened there. And, and it's a reminder on some level that things in church don't always go smooth. Sometimes hard, sometimes bad things happen. And the church, as it faces it, needs to figure out how do we get through this? But also ask, how did we get here? How did these kind of things happen? Well, the truth is they do happen. Uh, one of the things that happens as we come as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we, we still have temptations in our lives, and there's things that can lead us away from them. And you wonder, how, who knew? How was this possible? Was, uh, did the leadership, were they surprised? Was God surprised by this? And uh, the truth is God is not surprised by this. He knows these things. And, and, and in his word gives us warnings about the things that come sometimes. Uh, we uh, began last week looking at Jude's letter. Jude is the second to last book in the Bible, or my favorite word, the penultimate book in the Bible. And it, it is right before Revelation. And it's a, it's a letter that's not 
utilized very much. Uh, many people don't like to go to it because, well, it deals with difficult things. And who really wants to deal with difficult things? But one of the things about looking at all of Scripture is to be able to look at the things that are said and, and try and figure out what does that have to say to me in my life? Uh, we looked at the first four verses last week. The, the centerpiece of it is that he was warning the church there that, that there are false teachers that come into your midst. And, and these false teachers, there's two things in particular that he highlighted about them. One is that they, they exchange the grace of God for a license to live immoral lives. That in thinking about, well, God has saved us and he's freed us and, and then the law is nowhere on us, we, we can live and do whatever we want, which in that case meant living lives that were uh, filled with immorality. And, and the, the sense is certainly sexual immorality was, was something that they were advocating and even living out. And so that was the first of thing. And the second thing was that they deny the Lord Jesus, our Lord and Sovereign. Uh, so two things, how their ethics or how their life or their morals was being lived out. And the second thing was their theology. Where, where does Jesus stand in this? And they were denying that's his, his center part of it. And this was a huge issue. And, well, today we're going to look at, at how Jude describes that in further detail and, and some of the things for us to glean out of that, even in our own lives, as, as we consider what does it mean in our day to deal with hard things that come into the church. And so starting in Jude chapter, well, just there's only one chapter in Jude, Starting in verse 5, and he writes, Though you already know this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their own home, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. And as Jude continues the letter after talking about the two basic things, he then goes back into scriptures and, and Jude is the stepbrother of Jesus. He's the brother of James who would become the leader of the church in Jerusalem, but also the stepbrother of Jesus. And so with that, he would have had a Jewish upbringing and, and many of the early believers had this Jewish background. And so they would have known well the Old Testament and the, the stories that were there. And so he says, all right, so I'm, gonna, I'm writing about this, but this is nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. This is stuff that God knows about and he's dealt with in the past. And he brings up three different stories that, that discuss the things that are going on. The first one, in the Exodus, when, when, when the people were in Egypt and they had been enslaved there, after Joseph comes and rescues them from the famine in the last part of Genesis, they stay in the land, but eventually a new pharaoh comes and he enslaves the people because they're a threat and uses them. And the people cry out for deliverance, Lord, deliver us. And the Lord brings the deliverer, Moses, and he frees them. And they leave Egypt, and they, they come to the promised land. But as they're coming to the promised land, they also are expressing doubt in God that God can actually help them. Even though he just got them out of Egypt, 
as they go into the other land and they see the very large people, the Anakites, they're like, there's no way these people are going to kill us. There's no way we can do anything against them. God says, who are you trusting in? I'm your God. And so because of that, he did not allow that generation to come to the land that he promised them. They wandered for 40 years. And, and in the course of that wandering, many times they expressed disbelief in God. And, and the, the result of that is they faced death even out in the desert. Well, this is God's people. But sometimes as God's people don't express their own belief in God, there are consequences to that. And that's the first of the stories. The second story uh, is about angels. And this seems a little weird. Where did this come from? And most scholars, or at least many, think that it comes from Genesis 6 and that the, the events leading up to Noah and his building of the ark. But it says that the sons of God uh, began to look at the daughters of men and liking them and having relations with them. And, and in, in this, within Jewish tradition, and again, Jew, Jude has this as his background, as well, the things that they thought were going on there, that, that angels had left the heavens and come down and, and were trying to have relations with, with uh, the women uh, on the earth. And, and in other descriptions of fallen angels, which we would call demons, uh, they left their place. And they're leaving God, they're rebelling against God and what he's done, uh, as Jude indicates here, put them in eternal darkness. Uh, there was punishment and consequence. And then the third story uh, covers Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, that comes out of Genesis chapter 19. If you're familiar with that story, you know that, that there were three angels that went there. They had visited uh, Abraham previous to that, but they were going to check out to see if there's any people who were righteous there. And they come to Abraham's nephew, Lot, and they, they spend the night with him. They were going to spend the night on the square, and Lot's like, no, do not do that. Come into my house. And, and so they come into his house, and, and in the middle of the night, there's pounding on the door. The men of the town want these three guys, and they want them to have sexual relationships with them. And, and uh, this is something that was characteristic of this town, so much so that it was destined for condemnation. What happens next is that Lot and his family leave the, the, the city altogether. And, and as they're leaving, fire rains down from heaven and, and that place is destroyed. Well, so Jude uses these three stories to say the problem with, with, with people living sexually immoral lives and, and rejecting God and rebelling against them, this is not new. God has seen this before. We've seen this happen and God knows what to do. And, and by the way, there's, there's consequences to doing this. Again, this is not everyone's favorite passage in the Bible because it talks pretty starkly about the fact that, that condemnation is something that happens, that there is judgment that happens when we rebel against God and how he has designed and ordered things. The God of the universe has created life and he's created mankind and, and for mankind to reject him and to, to rebel against him, this is, this is unacceptable. For mankind to take this beautiful gift that he gave to us, this thing we call sexual relations, it, it's so beautiful and wonderful that as he introduces it in, in Genesis chapter 2, 
He says, this is something between a husband and a wife. It is something that is so perfect and wonderful, there's a boundary to protect it. It is to be within this most intimate relationship. And to use it outside of that is to pervert what it was intended to. And perversion is what's described there in their life. Are these issues for us today? Do these things happen today? Are there people who turn their backs on God yet and say that there is, there's, Jesus is just one of many paths? This is about as contemporary as, as the headlines on a, on a newspaper or, or an online report. The issues that Jude is talking about are, are formidable for us today to think about and consider. And as he talks about this, he, he's talking about this is what has happened in the past. And these are the same things that are happening today. And so he goes on. And, and, uh, and I'm going to read the rest of this passage, which will be verses 8 through 19. And as I do this, I, look, I want you to look for uh, these relative pronouns, these and they. Because um, it's going to describe these people. And that, that, that's going to come up again and again. These people or these, these men. And this is what they do. And, and the condemnation that Jude brings out towards them. So, again, following the three stories from the Old Testament, verse 8, In the very same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and slander celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Yet these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand and what things they do understand by instinct, like unreasoning animals. These are the very things that destroy them. Woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's heir. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These men are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm. Shepherds who feed only themselves, they are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind. Autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame. Wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have done in the ungodly way and of all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These men are grumblers and fault finders. They find their own evil desires. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. Whew. Well, that's, a, that's quite a passage there. Uh, pretty negative and a pretty, pretty aggressive attacking of of what's going on there. And once again, 
He's drawing out these things that these people are doing as they come and infiltrate the church. And that was the the initial thing that Jude mentioned in the first four verses. These kind of things have happened and come into your church. And so what they're doing by doing this, they're polluting their bodies, which is a description of their immorality. They're rejecting, which is the rebellion against God. And they're slandering or defying authority and lifting themselves up. Um, you may wonder at that description of, of Michael and, and, uh, and, and Moses' body. It, uh, it comes from a reference to the testament of Moses and uh, where they were, there was a dispute between uh, the archangel Michael and Satan about what to do with the body of Moses. Uh, and, and in the process of that, uh, Michael does not say, by my authority, I rebuke you, I tell you that you're wrong and you can't do this but instead by Yahweh. It is the Lord, it is the God. He understands in dealing with another spiritual being that he doesn't have the authority. God has the authority. Now, the same phrasing comes also from uh, the, the book of Zechariah in chapter 3. Exact same things are said about it. And, and the verse says then, the Lord rebuke you. And, and, and the point here is that as Jude brings this story up, he's saying, these people that are among you, they are so filled with themselves, they don't think that anything, uh, they don't think anything of, of blaspheming whomever it is. Uh, and, and even the glorious ones that's dis- described, or the celestial beings, and probably what he's talking about are, would be demons here, just based upon the context of what are the things he are saying. And, and not that we listen to or follow demonic forces, but we recognize that there is power there, and we do not have the power in ourselves to deal with those dark forces. Paul writes about this in Ephesians chapter 6, that we put on the the armor of God, but we take our stands not against humans, but against powers and principalities that are beyond us, and that our strength and our power and our authority is based upon God's power that we stand because of God, because of the work Jesus did in our behalf. That's where we find our strength and our help. And it's not because we're so smart or so powerful. We have so much faith. But we do have faith in the one who empowers us. And so what's characterizing these teachers is this, this focus upon themselves, what feels good for them and what they want to do. Uh, there's this whole description in there of uh, of different uh, metaphors that he uses for them. In verse 12, these men are blemishes at your love feast. Probably a better translation, which is in the ESV and the, and the New Living Testament, are these are hidden reefs. Um, many of you who are, have been on boats around our, our different harbors will know that you have to watch out for rocks that are going to be there. If, the, if the, the rocks are there and you run your boat over it, you're going to put something, uh, a hole in your hull. And uh, that's his description, this, these hidden reefs that uh, you don't see but do damage nevertheless. This is, this is who they are in your presence. And then as he goes on from there, uh, just again and again, shepherds who feed themselves, clouds without rain, autumn trees without fruit, wild waves of the sea, and wandering stars. And each of them, there's a destiny or a purpose for each of these things. Shepherds are supposed to feed their sheep and take care of them, aren't they? These shepherds only care for themselves. Uh, the, the, uh, the trees in autumn should be producing fruit. 
Instead, they don't have anything because there's nothing to them. Again and again, Jude, as he's talking about these who have infiltrated the church, is talking about the danger that they have brought to bear. Uh, these are hard things that are going on. And again, he's using the Old Testament scriptures to, to bring this to light. Uh, again, these things have happened before uh, in, in Cain's life. What, is, what was Cain's problem? He killed his brother. Why? Because he was angry about how God judged his, his offering. Um, and so he, he pursued his own path because of his own passions. Uh, Balaam. Uh, Balaam, what was the, the, the rush for profit into Balaam? Balaam was a, a prophet, and, and you know, we find him in Numbers chapter 22 to 24, and, and uh, that's the story with the donkey is involved with that as well. But, but part of that whole story was uh, Balaam was approached by a king, Balak, who didn't like the Israelites, and he wanted them destroyed, and it's like, hey, you're a prophet. Prophesy against them. Give me a curse against this people. And, and, uh, and, and Balaam's like, well, um, okay, I can only do what God says to do, but let me go check with him on that. And he checks with him. He's like, nope, you've got to bless the Israelites. You cannot curse them. And, and so he goes to Balak. He's like, nope, can't do it. It's like, no, seriously, i got a ton of money. Curse them for me. And uh, I was like, well, I t-, and, and he goes back to again. Even though God said no, uh, he tried and asked and petitioned him again, and that's kind of where the, the donkey and, and the, the angel of the Lord who's standing in his path comes into this. This is, again, in Numbers uh, 22 to 24. And, and the problem with Balaam was he wanted to give the people a message they wanted to hear. He didn't want to speak what God had to say, but tell the people, this is what, this is what you want to hear, so I'm going to tell you this. God wants to bless you and destroy the Israelites. And, and the problem was that wasn't God's message at all. And that's the danger, is that leaders who come in and speak what, they, what, what you want to hear, that's a problem. Because truth is there, whether we like it or not. Uh, part of this revolves around where do we think God fits into this? You know, we wonder on some level, you know, if God is a loving God, how, can, how could he talk about these things of condemnation? And, and we see it again and again in here, don't we? And this is not just a slap on the wrist, but uh, as he describes the wandering starts who, who will be, be subject to blackest darkness forever. Uh, these, are, these are strident terms that are hard to hear. Say, so how does that as relates or connect with a God we talk about as a God of love? But our God is a God of holiness too. That holiness matters, that being right and, and, and doing things right. He's a God of justice. And for things to be done that are wrong, to leave them untouched, would not be just at all. And some have said, and even some pastors along the way have wrestled with this to the point of, I can't. I can't handle this. That's not the God I want to believe in. Well, well there's a problem because that's, that's what's revealed to us. If, uh, if, it was, if it was told to you that your well has been contaminated, um, you can say, tastes fine to me. There's no problems with it. But if your neighbor has been getting sick and, and you've been getting sick and it's like, well, it's the water. I had my water tested and we share from the same, the same spring. Uh, it's like, nope, I don't believe it. Well, whether you believe it or not, the well is contaminated. Your belief doesn't make any difference. If this 
is the system that God has. If his holiness demands this, then this is how it is. We wrestle with God's condemnation. We wrestle with God's wrath. And we wrestle with this idea of, of hell, of everlasting punishment. And it is a hard concept. There's no, there's no question about that. But again, what is the holiness of God speak into this? And the hell that is described in, in scriptures, whether it's, it's exactly how it is, the, the, the phrasing here often is, is darkness and fire. Well, uh, I've never seen a fire that has, can exist with darkness next to it. Uh, so they're clearly images that are meant to give us something. The, the lack of God's presence is something that is beyond what we can imagine in terms of, of its horribleness. Uh, but we don't revel in this idea of hell. It's not something, oh yeah, the bad guys get it. It is something meant to cause us concern and even tears. The God of this world loves mankind so much that he wants them to see him and receive this life that he has. And with tears, we go to others to tell them, God loves you. And the other side is, if you refuse this love, the destiny for you is terrible. This has motivated the preachers of the past many times, and Tom, I, people have wrestled with that. Jonathan Edwards uh, wrote a, a, a classic hymn. It was in my American literature book when I was in high school and in college. Uh, Sinners in the hands of an angry God. Um, and that's hard to hear. We want to be nice. But if nice doesn't allow us to see truth, truth, it matters. We stand before a God who loves us, yes, but also demands holiness. The holiness he offers us comes through Jesus. Why did Jesus die? Why would he go through that if it was just all okay? He came to this worth. He was humiliated, destroyed, beaten, endured all that pain and was hung on the cross, a cursed death. Why would he do that if there was so many other ways? The Son of God came for a reason, to rescue us. And the problem that Jude is facing is there's people in here who are trying to sell you something else, that there's there's another way, that we can deny Jesus Well, again, the the issues that Jude talks about here are as contemporary as today. They're the same things we deal with even in this world. We deal with uh, a world that uh, is is so sexually loose that it's mind-boggling. It's not our grandparents' world. Uh, The revolution, the sexual revolution of the 60s has greater and greater impact upon us and in ways that we probably can't even think and imagine and the things we uh, are permissive about. But God still has a standard and a righteousness. And and his word says, anything outside of husband and wife is not okay. This is how I designed it. Anything outside of Jesus as Lord, even if that feels inconvenient, this is not okay. And the incipient effect is it leads others away from truth. 
And so that's why Jude's letter is so strongly worded. It's so, so, so strident in how it comes. He wants people to see there's just one way. You can say that's exclusive, but if that's how it is, that's how it is. Jesus, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. I wrestle with these things. I have had one of my closest friends in high school left church because of his orientation. He said, well, I, God must have made me this way, so this is how it's got to be. And, and uh, that friend died some years ago of AIDS. I've known pastors who have walked away, and not just pastors, but all kinds of people, leaders within their church, elders, uh, lay people who struggle with this and, and say, well, there's got to be another way. God says, no, this is how it is. And Jude brings us this message. That's a tough message. And I think the point of the message for us today in dealing with this ancient text, dealing with ancient things, but again, ancient things that are as contemporary as the news. What in our life have we allowed to go soft on? Have we moved away from because it seems less convenient? And that's something I'd like you to just ponder in your life, to think through this week. Are there areas you've allowed a, a leniency or, or some kind of movement away? Maybe it's in some of your practices that, uh, that's, that you're tempted uh, to, to exercise some kind of sexuality outside of marriage. Maybe it's premarital sex or a, an affair, an adulterous affair or, or some kind of homosexual activity all of these says, God, this is not my design for you. This is not how I made you. Follow me. Know me. Okay, so it's a heavy text. There's more. This, this, this letter ends in a different way next week. And, and there's some, some good things and directions he, he points us to. And we'll look at that next week. And if you want to read ahead, go ahead and do that. And, and uh, there's, there's, there's good stuff there. But... Our life, again, is not always happy, happy, joy, joy. Sometimes there's hard, difficult things that we need to face. And Jude says, look at this. This is, this is not something to, to look away from. We need to address within our own midst, within our own church even. Are there things that are not okay in what we do theologically? That's why having a robust conversation. That's why uh, you allowed me to go to this theology conference with the, with the Free Church a couple weeks ago because seeing and, 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 and looking at these vital things, it's important for us. It's important for all of us. Let's stand for closing prayer. Well, Father, we, we come to you this day and again now looking at uh, Jude's letter and we thank you for um, our brother Jude or Judah, and uh, for the things that he wrote to to stem the tide of things that were happening within their church. And Lord, as we consider that in our own lives, may we stay connected to you and to your word, the ways that you revealed yourself. May we not follow a God that we want, but to follow you who you are as you've revealed yourself. And may we be faithful to that. And as we interact with this world around us, may we 
care for and love them. But may we also be truthful in talking about this is how God's standard is. That you do stand at the door and you knock and you seek to come in with us. But as you do that, you have clear ideas of what you designed this world to be and how you designed us to live in connection with you. Give us wisdom. Give us discernment. Give us great hearts of love for others as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks again for listening. And to learn more about how you can connect with Bethel Community Church, check out our website at islandbethelchurch.com or join us for a service Saturday night at 6 or Sunday morning at 1045. Hope to see you soon. God bless you.